Well, welcome back to uh, another edition of the the Bowlers Extra podcast, uh, jconline.com through SoundCloud. Mike Carmen here as uh, Purdue football gets ready to play uh, uh, another big game coming up Saturday at Ohio State, another highly ranked team for the Bullermakers uh, to see if they can slay another uh, top five team. And joining us today to talk about the Buckeyes is a is a name and a face. Familiar to the Boilers Extra podcast, he was he was a big um, he spearheaded this this project many years ago, but you know left us for bigger and better better things in Cleveland, Ohio. But Nathan Baird, former JNC employee, now covers Ohio State for Cleveland dot com, and he's going to join us today to talk about the Buckeyes. Nathan, how you doing? I'm doing great. I think uh, your listeners are probably doing great too because they don't have to see my face; it's just <laughs> name and voice, well, no face. Well, it's the same with me. I'm not sure if we're getting any more listeners than what we had when you were here, but uh, uh, kudos to you for getting this project off the ground, and for some strange reason, I, I, I keep doing it. Uh, so it's just part of the, the, the media platform that we have now. But Nathan's been covering the Buckeyes for a couple of years and doing a great job over there uh, with Ohio State. And, uh, going from, from Purdue to Ohio State, I'm sure it was a big transition and, and covering a football team. Uh, but, uh, thing, I know things are going well over there for, for him. Let's, uh, with Ohio State, I mean, there's just, there, the expectations are just so high and the, and the bar every week is so high. Uh, they went through this stretch earlier in the year where they're scoring 50 points every game and everything's great. Everything's clicking. The last couple games, at least from the outside, it, you know, they've struggled a little bit, uh, at least on an offensive standpoint. How much is that as reality? How much is that just the, the bar that they hold themselves to every week? Well, it's a little bit of both. And, and, but it does play into, you know, what, what this program expects to play at both, both internally and externally, I think. You know, these last two weeks, Nebraska and Penn State, they've scored a total of four offensive touchdowns, which, as you say, it used to be a um, um, an average quarter for them there for about a month of the season. They were just blowing people off the field. I mean, they scored 44 in the first half at Indiana, things like that. Like, they were kind of laying waste to people for a while. And these last couple of weeks, I think it's been a combination of, and I, I think you're, Many of your listeners already know this. You know, Nebraska is a pretty solid defense. Penn State certainly is a solid defense. Those are both, you can go look at the metrics. Those are teams that rank in the top, you know, 10 or 20, you know, football outsiders, those sort of metrics. So those are legitimate defenses. But I think the, again, the Ohio State expectation is not how will you do when you play a good Big Ten defense? It's how will you do when you play Georgia? Because that's where they expect to be at the end of the season. They expect to be in the playoff playing the best teams in the country. So it's been a, a, a interesting little mood shift these last couple of weeks because the answer to that question, how would you do against Georgia, seems to be trending in the wrong direction. And then I think at some point it's fair to ask, just because of the teams that are ahead on the schedule. You know, Purdue is, is highly ranked defensively. Michigan State, fairly highly ranked defensively. And Michigan as well. So how are you going to do against those teams? Because you already took your loss against Oregon earlier this year. You can't afford another one if you want to end up in the playoff. So... They've been trying to figure some things out, and I think kind of everything has been on the table these last couple of weeks, whether it's offensive line play, which was so dominant for a long time, has trended in the wrong direction these last couple of weeks. The teams have found ways to uh, kind of just fluster them a little bit up front. You know, Penn State was doing a bunch of 
shifting right before the snap and and some stunting and things like that to, to throw them off. Nebraska, again, as people know, is just kind of that's their strength. I would say is the their front seven, their, their linebackers played pretty well. Um, they, they were winning some battles up front, and I don't think the offensive line has maybe uh, adjusted to that and asserted itself the way that it again at, at the usual Ohio State standard. There's also been some some discussion just about the way they call an offense right now and the the balance that they were getting between run and pass against Nebraska was really out of whack. They're usually pretty much 50-50 or close to it, and it was about two-thirds passes against Nebraska. And Ryan Day will say that that's what, you know, when you when you run a lot of RPOs, that's sort of what the defense is giving you. But the week before, he was kind of championing the balance of the offense and how they were like exactly 34 pass, 34 run, whatever it was against Penn State. So I think there's some self-examination going on as to just how they're going to um, call a game going into this uh Purdue game. And the other big X factor is the Nebraska game they were missing the guy who I think is probably their best all-around offensive player, and that's Garrett Wilson, the guy who's been the most reliable. Everyone probably knows that they have three really good receivers. I think he's the best of the three right now. And that's it's weird to look at a game where you have a player get 15 catches and 240 yards and another guy go for 60 yards and a touchdown and think, boy, there was really something missing from the passing game. But there was. I mean, he was. It, you, I can I can show you a handful of snaps in that game, a couple that really stand out where the guy that they had in for him, who was going to be a good receiver someday, Marvin Harrison Jr., that name should sound familiar for a reason, that, that is Marvin Harrison Jr., is going to be a great receiver and is already a pretty good one. But he, he drops a big pass at one point. He got a holding penalty at another point that negated a, a good run. Like, so they missed Garrett Wilson in a game like that. So he's supposed to be back this week. I think there's been enough like self-examination after these last two weeks that as much as they respect Purdue, Purdue probably also knows it has to take its game up a notch to contain an offense like this because it always does seem to be one game away from another one of those blow-ups. Right. Um, and you're right. I mean, the, the and you've seen it all year. I mean, they, they, they do probably have the most talented receiving core in the Big Ten, maybe in the country. With the three guys, because, I mean, didn't they have a guy last week also, like, set a school record for 15 catches against Nebraska? That, yeah, this, this, <laughs> yeah uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's a, a sophomore, 15 for 240 and a touchdown. Right. So, yeah, I don't, they keep pulling these guys out of the, <laughs> off their depth chart and. Yeah, he's uh, their number three. <laughs> well. Well, like I said, like, I mean, just literally, like, the guys coming off the bench are Marvin Harrison Jr., again. <laughs> <laughs> they mean something. The yeah. guy named Julian Fleming was who actually started in place of Garrett Wilson. He was the number one receiver prospect in the country going in for the 2020 class. Those are the guys they just have sitting on their bench right now. So they, they do always have kind of a wealth of talent that a lot of Big Ten programs are probably a little bit jealous of. But that's what makes Big Ten football fun, I think, a little bit. Is And we've seen it directly in this rivalry that sometimes that doesn't matter. Sometimes the Purdue's uh, can get on the same field as those teams and figure out a way to win, despite what is on paper a talent disadvantage. What's the state of the Ohio State rushing game right now? That's a fantastic question, and it's been a topic of significant <laughs> conversation since Saturday. Uh, they've got a guy named Trevion Henderson, true freshman. He was the number one running back recruit in this past class, and he took over about three games into the year and went out and ran for, I can't remember how many it was, but set a, a freshman rushing record for Ohio State, 200 and some yards and against Tulsa. And since then has been the guy who's been the lead back. And I would put him in the same category 
one of those, you know it when you see it kind of things. Mm-hmm. And we saw it with Saquon Barkley, and we saw it with Rondell Moore, and I'd put Trayvon Henderson in that same category when when he gets an opportunity. You get him in open space, if he gets to the second level, it can be a real, real problem for teams. We've seen him go the distance multiple times already this year, and he's only getting better. Like I said, true freshman, he did not play football as a high school senior because of COVID. So the 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 trend on him is again he's one of those guys who can just be explosive on any given week and when you balance that out with what they have at receiver it, that's where the the pressure really is on opposing defenses. What you haven't really been seeing these last couple of weeks though is the same displacement from the offensive line up front, and they've they've been a little bit banged up. Like uh, Dewan Jones, who people from uh, Indiana probably know, played at Ben Davis and came here as kind of a project. Uh, going into the season was supposed to just be a, a backup and maybe somebody that they looked at starting next year. And because they had the two best returning tackles in the country per pro football focus, well, midway through preseason camp, they figured out, actually, he's playing great. So they flipped everything. They took their three-year starter at left tackle, moved him into left guard. That's Thayer Munford. They took their returning starter at right tackle, who was great last year, Nicholas Petit Frere, and put him on the left side and then put made DeJuan Jones starting right tackle. So they, they did this big kind of reconfiguration right before the season started. And it really kind of threw us for a loop. And then, but Saturday morning, DeJuan Jones starts throwing up. So they, they had to figure things out on the fly a little bit in Nebraska. They used, I think, four different offensive line alignments with – their starters, basically, their starters plus this guy, Matt Jones, who's been sort of their utility guy, coming in off the bench and getting some semi-regular snaps at, like, left guard, right guard. I know it's one of those things that coaches always talk about, well, we're going to roll our offensive line this year, and it, it never happens. Right. I mean, unless somebody gets hurt. But Hossie's kind of actually doing it. Like, they'll give him snaps at left guard, especially snaps at right guard behind a, a converted tackle named Paris Johnson Jr., who's going to be the starting left tackle next year. That's kind of, again, the, the embarrassment of riches they have, a guy who's the number one tackle prospect in the country two years ago. He's just playing right guard because he's one of their best guys. they got to get him on the line somewhere. So the, I think part of this is cohesion is so important for an offensive line, I think, from, from a communication standpoint and everything else. And they've jumbled guys around so much, and especially in that Nebraska game, it was getting moved around a lot. And it was out of necessity because, again, Jones started the game sick before he was able to come back in. And some other guys have been dealing with some things, it sounds like. They're pretty tight-lipped about injuries and things here, but we know Nicholas Petit-Ferrer missed some practice, those sorts of things. So they they kind of need to, to set that, I think. If they can get a, a healthy week out of this offensive line again and can kind of work from that baseline, then maybe that'll help. But the, the run game does seem a little bit off right now. And they were running it when they needed to in the fourth quarter, where it's really hurt them the last couple of weeks is the, Nebraska, the Penn State game, they were one out of six in the red zone scoring touchdowns, which is very un-Ohio State-like. Like, the, the kicker at Ohio State is supposed to get a bunch of extra points, and then maybe you, like, you'll get some short field goals because it's fourth and eight, right. and you'll get some, you, maybe you'll try to bomb one in before the half because you know you're getting the ball back or whatever. Uh, but they're not supposed to kick a bunch of field goals, and he's kicked – he has as many points the last two weeks as the offense does, if you take away extra points. He's got 24 points on field goals, and they have 24 points on touchdowns. Just a very un-Ohio State-like ratio. So they've got to do better in the red zone, and running the ball is a big part of that. They, I think they've gotten caught a couple times 
uh, getting off schedule early in possessions, and it's led to failures later in the possessions. They've had to settle for field goals. So I kind of think that because of, again, where Purdue's strengths are, like if I'm an opposing coach, I may just run the ball at George Karloftis because at least early on, kind of try to try to try to establish the run game early on in a game like this and, and make Purdue prove it can stop this offensive line in Trevion Henderson. Uh, but the problem is, for Ryan Day, he knows he's got a pretty good quarterback in C.J. Stroud. He knows he has great receivers, and he's a quarterback's guy, too. There's a little bit, reminds me of Brom a little bit, where I think they like to throw the ball, and it's not necessarily going to be their default, but they'll throw it if they can. And I don't think they like to not get away from that too much. And so it's it's a mix of trying to, to trying to find that balance of what's more prudent as far as running the ball, but then also not ignoring the talent advantage that you have potentially at all three of those receiver spots. Yeah, it's an interesting comparison because you know, as, as you know, you, you know, you covered both guys. Sometimes that that coaching ego gets in the way of what's best for your team, and it ends up. You know, I, I don't know if you end up losing a game because of it, but you you get yourself off track. I think when when you keep going back to okay, yeah, we, well, my identity is to throw the ball, so I got to throw the ball. And just recently, Brom in that Nebraska game committed to running the ball more, even though Purdue is really bad at running the ball in a traditional sense. So sometimes coaches just kind of kind of got to get out of their way. And, you know, is Day at that point where he does get out of his way? So the best example of this from an Ohio State perspective was last year's Big Ten Championship game. I don't know how many people watched that, but Garrett Wilson, I'm sorry, Chris Olave missed that game uh, because of covid and this is before Jackson's with the Jigba Hood emerged. They had another guy there named Jamison Williams, who is now like scoring kickoff return touchdowns for Alabama because he transferred from Ohio State to Alabama in the offseason. But losing Chris Olave for that game really kind of thwarted the passing game that day. They really seemed out of sorts. Justin Fields um, hurt a finger or a wrist or something in the process of that game. Long story short, the passing game wasn't working. And, and the Northwestern was a pretty good defense last year. And they were still pretty far into that game where it seemed like they were trying to force the pass to work. And once they finally said, all right, well, I guess we're just going to have to run the ball, Trey Sermon, <laughs> this guy who was a transfer from Oklahoma who had been very middling most of the year, uh, goes out and runs for a school record, and I don't remember the exact, 300 and some yards. Right, yeah, I remember like, that. Yeah. Now, it, like, school record. So, you know, not, not Archie Griffin, not Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott. Not Eddie George. <laughs> Trey Sermon is the all-time single-game leading rusher at Ohio State, 350-something, whatever it was. And so that was like the one example where we were like, what, what is he doing? Like, maybe he's forcing it a little bit much. I don't really think that's necessarily what's happening here. I, they do run a lot of RPO stuff, and you've got a redshirt freshman quarterback who's going up to the line making those reads as to what he's supposed to do. And he's you know, pretty far into his first year here as a starter, but but still in this first year. I think there's still some adjustment that probably is happening on the decisions that happen there, but they're also just going to take what an offense or a defense gives them, and if a defense is keeping that extra guy in the box, then they're going to throw the ball on him, or or you know what I mean? Like So, I, I think it may manifest itself more in how they decide to call some of those plays than the decision that ultimately gets made, because there's going to be times where uh, they would they'd be fine handing it off if if that was the 
affects what the, the, the defense dictates, but that'll kind of be up to Purdue a little bit on Sunday and, or Saturday. And what do you want to take away if you're Purdue? Do you want to take away um, the, the explosive running back or do you want to take away the, the three explosive receivers? Sometimes that can be difficult math to deal with. The one thing you don't have to worry about with this Ohio State team as much as the last two years is the quarterback run threat. You know, Justin Fields was a guy – just a, it's just a different level of an athlete. He went to the combine and, or well, there wasn't really a combine, but you know, like the, the pro right. day last year and ran like a 4-4-40 or whatever it was. Like he's, he's just something else as an athlete, a pure athlete. And Jackson Smith and Jigba is not that. They don't, they don't design runs for him with much frequency and he does not just take off and run with much frequency. And I don't think they want him to. He's much more apt. He doesn't get sacked a lot. Fields took even more sacks despite being as athletic and fast as he was because he would hold on to the ball knowing that he had the arm and the ability to turn it into plays a lot of times. And I think with that offense, it worked. With this one, Smith and Jigba's just better at like getting rid of the ball. So I'm intrigued by what's going to happen when it's George Karloftis coming after him. And does this offensive line step up and prevent that from being a problem? And then once it inevitably is a problem a few times a game, George is going to get his a little bit. What does, how does Stroud react to that? Because early this year, he definitely looked like a redshirt freshman who didn't really make plays well on his feet, throwing on the run, that sort of thing, which I assume is probably one of the harder things to, to learn at this level. And now he's gotten better at that. Now I feel like he is potentially a better weapon, but we also saw Nebraska take advantage of that and get some picks off of it last week. Right. What team has Ohio State played this year that has challenged its secondary and challenged its defense in the passing game that would be comparable to what Purdue could offer on Saturday? That's a great question because I feel like their their biggest loss, the, the, the Oregon loss, was mostly about the ground game. That's where they were able to get exploited. And not only has they changed a lot of things because of that, they demoted their defensive coordinator and gave the play calling to, to someone else on the staff. They've changed the way they align the defense a little bit. And the defense is getting better, has been provably playing better kind of each week since then. Maybe the one that's the most similar in some ways is, and this is going to sound like a weird thing, but Tulsa threw the ball a lot against Ohio State. Um, Ohio State ended up winning that game 41 to 20, but it was a one touchdown game with like four minutes left. They had a guy threw the ball for 428 yards. They, they threw the ball 54 times that game, that, that game. Davis Bren. They had a guy that, uh, Josh Johnson went for about 150 yards receiving. But I don't think they've played a, they, I don't think they've played an offensive mind like Brom as far as the passing game yet. And I don't, I know they haven't played a receiver like David Bell. I guess you would say Jahan Dotson from Penn State. Right, and, yeah. and he had some success against them eventually. They didn't really get him going until late in the first half. And then I thought they, they really started targeting him a lot. He ended up with 127 yards on 11 catches, but they kept him out of the end zone. And to some extent, Ohio State is a little bit willing to do that. They will play, I wouldn't say, a, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call it a soft coverage. You can get yards in the gaps of the zone against Ohio State's defense. What's changed these last couple of weeks is uh, they have a guy named Tyreek Smith, a defensive end, who was playing his best football at the end of last year. And then he tested positive for COVID before the national championship game. Like He literally had played like the two best games of his life 
against Northwestern and Clemson, then he gets COVID and can't play in the national championship game. And then this year, he was injured, uh, unspecified, kind of, as I said before, but missed three games. Since he has come back these last three weeks, I don't think they beat Penn State without him. I think he won that Penn State game. And it wasn't because he piled up a bunch of sacks. You know, he finished with, uh, he didn't have any, five tackles, one sack, one sack in that game. But the pressure that he was creating changed a lot of plays in that game. And he was even doing that last week against Nebraska, too. That's obviously a very different kind of offense, what they do with Adrian Martinez. But he's been just tremendous the last two weeks. He's been their best defensive player. I would say right now he is their best defensive player the way he's playing right now. And you've got another, like, former five-star defensive end on the other side, Zach Harrison, that starts. You've got a couple behind them in the freshman class that were among the top, you know, 20 recruits in the country this past year. So I think... From it, it's not so much what Ohio State's back end will do against Purdue. They've got some, they still got some questions there to me. I think the deep safety play, the free safety play is still, um, a little bit suspect. They've got a true freshman who's been their best defensive back, a guy named Denzel Burke, who played receiver in high school and they just converted him to cornerback and he's been, uh, he's started every game so far, which is kind of unheard of here to have a true freshman starting in the secondary. But I really think it's about the pressure up front. I think Purdue's going to have to find a way to contain those ends and keep them away. They're going to have to also, the interior pressure that this team creates, because early on this year, when Ohio State was creating pressure, it wasn't from the ends, partially because Smith wasn't playing. It was all coming from the interior. A guy named Haskell Garrett, who was a preseason All-American. Um, people might be familiar with his story. He was a kid that got shot in the face right before yeah, yeah, last year and ended up yeah. having this kind of, Breakthrough year is a really kind of bizarre and uh, scary, but ultimately uplifting, I guess, story. And some other guys on the interior, even some younger guys that have, have started breaking through. And it's that that front four. A lot of what they want to do on defense is predicated by pressure, and that that's obviously very simplistic. I guess most teams would say that, but they want to be able to create it with their front four, and that's always been the Ohio State way. You can go back through the years. They had Chase Young. They had the Bosa brothers. They had whoever else. Like They've had a long run of it here now with Larry Johnson, the defensive line coach. And they've always been able to create so much pressure up front that they don't have to bring a lot of other blitzes and do a lot of other fancy stuff. And it, it it's sick. It's circular. Like one feeds off of the other. And they don't have the, the secondary that they often do because I can name you a bunch of first-round cornerbacks that they've had over the last decade under Kerry Combs. But if they can create enough pressure off that front four, I think that's what's going to decide this game more than who's, you know, trying to hang with David Bell in coverage. Because you can't. Like, you're going to give up some yards to David Bell. You're going to give up some catches to David Bell. I think it's more about um, making uh, O'Connell, assuming it's him, uh, which I, I guess it will be, but whoever is back there, uh, making him uncomfortable, making him have to make um, uh hurried decisions, uh, distressed decisions. I think that's what decides this game. Yeah, it will be O'Connell. And uh, the one the one reason, one, re- one of the reasons why he has been effective these last four games is he's had time. Uh, the offensive line has done a good job of protecting him, giving him a pocket to throw in, and obviously that allows the receivers to, to get open and allows you time to find David Bell, Bell and some other guys. But you're right, if he... If he's under duress a lot, then that's not because he's not a runner. He, he's not one of the running quarterbacks yeah. that Brom has. So, and, and not that he's completely stationary, but um, you know he avoided a couple sacks last week to get a touchdown pass to Bell. But if that's a constant thing, then 
you know, that's going to affect his accuracy and that's going to lead to to issues for Purdue from a turnover standpoint. I did want to ask, because you, you've covered both sides of the Purdue and Ohio State during your time uh, here in Lafayette. We're visiting with Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. Used to work here at the Journal and Courier. So, I mean, are Ohio State fans, do they are they, are they nervous for this game uh, because it's Purdue and what Purdue has done this year? Or are they are they view it or how how are they viewing this game right now? I think it's actually yes and yes, um, both because it's Purdue and because <laughs> of what Purdue has done this year, but almost more the first thing than the latter. Uh, because their respect, I think, for what else goes on in the Big Ten stops at a certain point. And, there's, <laughs> right. and I, don't, I don't mean that to sound like mean, like I'm making a hot state fan sound mean. I think if you go back and look at the results, I think that's a fair thing to think sometimes. You know, Ohio State's won this division, this this conference now many years in a row. They're, they seem to exist on a bit of a different plane. But going back to the summer, uh, going back to the spring, whatever, this is a game that you heard from Ohio State fans like, man, I'm worried about that game. Because just anytime they see Purdue on the schedule now, they're conditioned to <laughs> worry about it. Right. And, and we've been telling them all along. We've, we've fed into that with our podcast and our listeners that, you know, you remember in 2008, uh, 2009, Purdue had this guy named Ryan Kerrigan, this edge rusher, and that's why they were able to knock off Terrell Pryor in Ohio State. And you remember 2018 when Ohio State, Purdue had Rondell Moore, and that's why they were able to, a big part of why they were able to win that game. Well, now they might have both. I mean, they might have both the terrorizing edge guy who knows that this is probably the biggest game of his career in some ways, and you've got David Bell, who knows this is the biggest game of his career. I mean, this is there's a lot, um, a lot to gain and little to lose in some ways for Purdue, and especially those guys. I mean, they're already on the NFL radar, obviously. But if you go in and make an impression in a game like this, it helps you even more. So, and and, and there's there are tangible things that, that Purdue can still attain if it wins this game. Obviously, as far as staying in the race in the West. So, I think Ohio State fans relative to how much they respect any given Big Ten game, I think there is a healthy dose of fear for this game, both because of what Purdue has been able to do. They just saw them win in a pretty convincing way against Michigan State. They, Ohio State fans see the way their own team is trending these last couple weeks. The one thing that makes me a little bit skeptical, though, about Purdue's upset chances is the thing that I think eventually really threatens Ohio State is a team that can run the ball again, and that's clearly not Purdue's right, strength. Right. Hey, I think you've got to have a balanced offense because the the best way to stop this Ohio State offense is to keep your offense on the field. Limit the number of times that they get the ball because then it takes the pressure off your defense. Your defense doesn't have to play perfect. You, in, the, in that stretch that you were talking about before where they're winning 50 points, scoring 50 points a game, like the Indiana game, Indiana's got a, a four-string walk-on playing in the middle of a monsoon against this, and they're just giving the ball right back to Ohio State, and Ohio State's explosive offense is scoring. I mean, And on top of that, Indiana was missing its two starting cornerbacks, same as Maryland the week before. Didn't have its starting cornerbacks. Like, what chance do you have to stop those receivers? Um, and especially if your offense sputters at all, it, it just sort of snowballs from there. So I don't know that Purdue is the team that can knock off Ohio State. I think that team, though, exists right now somewhere, and Ohio State kind of needs to fix some things on offense and keep shoring up some things on defense in order to prevent that from happening. You know, when you talk about keeping the ball away from Ohio State, and, and Purdue has really no running game 
<clears throat> but the one thing they've done here recently is control the clock and control drives. They had two 14-play scoring drives at Nebraska, and they had a long, <clears throat> excuse me, had a long <clears throat> scoring drive last week against Michigan State. So they've been able to keep the ball for longer stretches without a running game, which is somewhat remarkable. <laughs> but you know they they can do it just by some of their short and intermediate passing game that they've been able to develop. I did want to ask you, you know, the the latest college football rankings are out, and obviously that's a big deal with Ohio State. They're number four this week, but Purdue jumps in at number 19. Um, How much can that help Ohio State's case from a strength of schedule standpoint if they're able to beat Purdue on Saturday um, to kind of enhance or solidify their position as they continue to move forward in this thing? I think it's pretty huge. I think all of the games that Ohio State has left on its schedule this year have great value as far as making a playoff case. And again, they have to make one because they already took a loss, and it knocks them down into that big glut of everybody else that's trying to you know, convince everybody that their other 11 games matter more than the one they lost. That hasn't been the case the last few years. They got through the regular season undefeated, and you you're going to the you're going to the, the playoffs, especially when you win your conference championship game. But you know, Purdue being 19th, um, Michigan State, and Michigan both being in the top 10, like that's the last three games they have in the regular season. And then if they beat Purdue, I think that further pushes Wisconsin, probably maybe being the team that comes out of the West. And right now they're ranked, and you can look at their metrics. I think the Football Outsiders had them as the number two defense in the country behind Georgia as of this week. So every game that's left that Ohio State's going to play has tremendous value, and it's something that Oregon, the team that beat them and is still ranked ahead of them, doesn't have. I mean, they're going to play, I think it's Washington State, and then Utah, which was ranked this week, but they've been up and down. Who knows if they'll still be ranked that week. And then they close with Oregon State. Um, two teams that are fine, them and Washington State, but not nearly the value that Ohio State still has on its schedule. So if Oregon and Ohio State went out, I, I fully expect the committee to flip them and have Ohio State ahead of Oregon. I think they think Ohio State's better than Oregon right now, but they just have an excuse not to to flip them, so they're not. But at the same time, they did it with Michigan and Michigan State this week. Right, yeah. So it's I'm I'm at a I, I do it's it's funny how one of the big differences between how you cover these programs is every week for Tuesday morning I write a playoff like predictor thing like where is where is Ohio State going to be in the playoff rankings and then. Tuesday night, I have to stay up and watch, and last night it was especially late, stay up and watch the um, the playoff rankings show, write a quick news piece off of that, write a reaction piece to that, whereas at Purdue, most years, <laughs> who cares what's happening in the playoff thing? I'm going to watch a basketball game, I'm gonna, you know, watch a movie, like, it doesn't matter. So, um, again, I'm not trying to, but that's just the reality of the situation. So, um, it's, it's difficult right now, though, because the whims of the committee are a little bit hard to track, but I think at the end of the day, Ohio State's going to be in if it wins out, and Purdue being 19 only makes that even more likely, because I don't think style points, however you want to describe that, are important for when you have this kind of schedule coming up. You're going to have so many wins that look good on your resume that how much you beat Purdue and Michigan State and Michigan by, if you're able to win those games, isn't going to matter. I think the bigger question right now is what we've seen the last two weeks are there vulnerabilities still left to be exploited? It should we assume that Ohio State can win all three of these games? And I think right now, um, 
I, I would still, they're, they're obviously favored in this game by a decent amount. They'll probably be favored in these last two games by a decent amount. But there's more reason as a Ohio State fan to wonder about whether they can get the job done than there was three weeks ago. Right. No, I mean, they, obviously if they went out, they'll be there. That, that, I don't think that's a, that's not a question. It's just a matter of where they're seated at that point. But yeah, yeah but they can't, they, but they can't afford to slip up. They've taken their loss and they can't, they can't really afford another one, uh, at this stage. Well, Nathan, uh, appreciate you joining us on the, on the podcast today. Great to hear from you. Uh, great insight on the Buckeyes and kind of where they're at right now and kind of what's coming ahead. And, uh, really appreciate your time today and look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Of course, anytime. If maybe if something weird happens, we can do this again in Indianapolis in a month or so. <laughs> yes. That, but that would require Purdue winning this week, <laughs> that, well, which, which would knock yes. Ohio State maybe out. Uh, so, uh, might not knock him out of the Big Ten championship, but it would knock him out of that other thing we were talking about. Right. But yeah, yeah, that would be great if, uh, we could do it again. But yeah, look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Sure thing. Well, we thank Nathan for joining us today on the, uh, on the podcast and, uh, glad he's doing well in Columbus. I'm sure some of you, most of you, all of you miss him here at jconline.com. Uh, I miss him because, uh, uh, we only have two sports people here, and he was our third for such a long time and enjoyed having him here and glad things are going well for him covering the Buckeyes in Columbus. Uh, this is a, you know, I, I, this is a big game for Purdue just from the, the national perspective. Um, they've already clinched bowl eligibility. Um, they don't need to uh, to get a win for that. Um, they just need, they need to get a win just to, to get a win and, you know, keep their momentum going into the uh, final month of the season. Uh, it'll be a daunting tax, task because of the, the weapons that Ohio State has on offense. You know, this is going to challenge this Purdue defense uh, that, like they've never been challenged uh, this year. But as we've seen, they, they've been able to rise to the occasion several times this year. And, uh, you know, I, I expect a competitive game uh, on Saturday. And I know Ohio State fans are probably a little nervous with Purdue with Purdue coming in, and even though Purdue doesn't win over at Ohio Stadium a whole lot, uh, still, you know, I've always said that uh, uh, Ohio State fans get more nervous about facing Purdue than they do Michigan because they've had a pretty good handle on Michigan here recently where they, they've struggled with Purdue uh, on occasion. Did want to take an opportunity uh, to answer you know, uh, an email question or two today from Mike, who's a Purdue grad. Uh, he wanted to know, um, with uh, Aiden O'Connell playing uh, really well the last few weeks, what's changed for him? Is it just more experience, better play calling? Uh, if it's play calling, why did it take so long for the staff to figure it out? Um, especially since he's been in the program such a long time. You know, I, I think uh, his his improvement and his progress can be tied uh, to 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 a couple things. Number one, I, I think he has the best arm on the team. And I think his strength is showing is throwing those intermediate routes uh, and getting David Bell across the middle or David Bell open on the sideline. And I think that's number one. I think number two, he's just he's had time these last few games to to go through his progressions, to let receivers run their routes, uh, and then deliver the ball. He, he's not been sacked a whole lot. You know, the Wisconsin game, he did have the three interceptions. Some of those uh, were because he was under duress. Uh, from Wisconsin's defense, but the other three games in this stretch, he has not thrown an interception in part because he's had time, and that's a credit to the offensive line. They have stepped up 
and uh, and protected him. He's gotten sacked uh, in these games, but it hasn't been an ongoing uh, situation. Uh, if you remember last week in the uh, against Michigan State, the first uh, touchdown, he he eluded uh, a sack twice on the same play before throwing the ball to David Bell in the back of the end zone, uh, which is something we haven't seen from him this year. He is not the most mobile quarterback that Purdue has, but he has proven and he has shown over time that he is the most accurate uh, Purdue quarterback. And that's just something that he has in him, uh, the ability to uh, put the ball on the money uh, at the right time. And it's not, he's not perfect, which is, which has been shown. uh, But uh, you know, the things that he's done here in this stretch where he's completed at least 74% of his passes in four straight games um, it's a testament to him. It's a testament to the offensive line. It's a testament to, um, you know, David Bell and the receivers making those plays. But it's also a feel with the coaching staff as far as getting the right play call for him, getting the right play calls. And a lot of this through the course of a year, you're, you're, you're doing a lot of things from a coaching perspective and a play calling perspective. You know, what works, what doesn't. Uh, what works against this type of defense as opposed to what works against another type of defense. So what what you see one week may may not be what you see the next week because of how you're getting played or how how a receiver is getting played or how a how a defense plans to to come off the edge. I mean, Wisconsin had a pretty good formula for disrupting him and putting putting him under duress by blitzing up the middle. I would expect you know more teams to do that. Uh, you know, I would expect Ohio State to. To do that, where they they've brought in a lot of pressure up the middle and, and tried to get a quarterback off their spot, uh, but he's hung in there uh, and made those plays and let those routes develop uh, to a point. And he's been able to deliver the ball. I mean, that's kind of my my view on it. I mean, it's and I'm sure there's more technical reasons why. You know, we we ran a story on JCOnline.com earlier in the week uh, where uh, we got some uh, analytical data about his you know his percentage in the pocket when he's, when he has a clean pocket and his on target percentage. So all those things are nice and they, and they work, but you know, the bottom line is you, you have to, you, you do have to hang in the pocket and let routes develop. And then you've got to deliver the ball on time. And uh, that's something that he's done. He's in that groove. And when athletes get in those grooves, you know, that's, that's kind of what happens. I don't, I don't think there's one magical thing. Why? He's performing at the level he is, and he's got he's got great receivers that that catch the ball. We haven't seen as many drops uh, in the second part of the year as maybe we saw at the first part of the year. Uh, and he's done some of this without, I think, one of his better receivers, which is tight end Payne Durham, who's been kind of in and out of the lineup a little bit with with an injury. But Garrett Miller stepped up and made some plays last week. So it, again, it's a combination of things of why. Um, why this is happening at this moment. Um, and I, I do think a lot of it, not a lot of it, but I think some of it has to do with just Jeff Brown being more aggressive with his play calling and pushing the ball down the field and uh, kind of living by the things that he talked about in the offseason season as far as being aggressive and, and going for it. And that doesn't mean every every ball is thrown 60 yards down the field and you let David Bell run, run un, underneath of it. It's just being aggressive and in attacking a defense and finding the holes and exploiting that. Um, and I think Jeff Brom, the last couple games, 
has been in a pretty good groove from a play calling standpoint, understanding what uh, the defenses are doing and then putting his players in a position to execute uh, and succeed. And he also, you know, against Nebraska, he committed to the run a little bit more than what he'd had had done in the past. Now, this past game, Purdue didn't really find a lot of success on the ground, uh, but they still ran it enough to try to keep things, you know, moving or at least keep things honest as they can. But at the end of the day, O'Connell threw 54 times. Uh, that's that's Purdue's strength. That's what they need to do. Um, and I, you know, and I think um, as long as they continue to do things like that. Uh, that they'll be fine. Doesn't mean it'll work this weekend because you're, fe- you're you're facing a whole different animal of a of a team and a defense. Uh, but as you get the last two games of the year against Northwestern Indiana, I, I would expect Purdue to have uh, a lot of the same success that they've had here recently. Um, and, and you know, the also the other key to this whole offensive, I don't want to call it a surge, but this the way that they've executed and the way the way that they've played offensively. Um, is that they are controlling the clock? They are controlling the ball. Uh, it's a, it's not a, uh, it's not a basketball on grass thing. And if it's basketball on grass, the grass is pretty high because, you know, Purdue's offense is moving uh, not at a slow rate but a medium rate. Um, and you know, by by controlling the clock, by keeping the ball, you're keeping the other team off the field. You're keeping your defense fresh. And I, I really think those things have have worked in Purdue's favor here the last uh, few weeks. So. Again, appreciate the question. We got more questions uh, that we can answer uh, coming up on uh, uh, next time we do this. Uh, we'll just do one today, and then if you got if you have some questions, if you have some other questions, we'll uh, we'll fr- we'll try to get to them over the course of the next week or so, um, uh, and uh, kind of keep keep things moving uh, in that direction. Mike had some other questions that we'll save for um, for a later time. But if you have questions, feel free to email mcarmin at uh, gannett.com, C-A-R-M-I-N at uh, gannett, G-A-N-N-E-T-T.com, or the DM on Twitter is always a a useful place to to ask those questions as well. Uh, So, yeah, a big uh, football game Saturday. Before that, you get basketball on Friday uh, against Indiana State. Uh, We'll be back after that game to recap what went on uh, there. And then, obviously, after the football game, we'll be back uh, to kind of uh, see where Purdue is at after Saturday, uh, whether they're going to stay in the college football rankings <laughs> at number 19 or probably drop a little bit if, if they lose. But um, and kind of get a state of you know where the Big Ten West is at at that point because Purdue's going to have to win out to win the Big Ten West. And by, by saying that, not just win the Big Ten West, but get to the championship game. They could tie for the top of the Big Ten West, but they, they would lose some tiebreakers with Minnesota and Wisconsin. But the whole idea is to win the Big Ten West, but also get to the Big Ten Championship game. To do that, Purdue has to win out, and then Minnesota and uh, Wisconsin each have to suffer uh, at least one loss over the next three weeks for uh, for that to happen for Purdue. All right, well, we appreciate you stopping by, um, and uh and we'll be back after after Friday's basketball game to recap what went on, and then Saturday after the football game. Till then, have a good day.